What's up, everybody? This is AJ, and this is the Unnecessary Podcast. If you're new to the Unnecessary Podcast, it's just free-flowing conversations between me and my friends. And uh, what we're listening to actually right now, which I just turned off because I'm not sure how loud it is, is uh, by Camouflage, which is a cool name. It's like Camouflage and Fly mixed together, and the song is safe. Uh, My guest today is actually the second appearance, back-to-back part two of uh, my conversation with my friend Alex. Oh, no. Because that was your, that was your last name last time. What's up, Alex? Yeah, I'll, that's, that's a decent last name. I'll take it. I had to edit out your last name last time, obviously. So it's Alex. Oh, no. I mean, it could have been Alex. Fuck down, Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stick with O now. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty better. It's just I love using the soundboard whenever possible, so. Yeah, it's much more like uh, midnight radio that way, which, frankly, I can't get enough of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, did you hear that song, Camouflage, that I was playing on the intro? I heard you playing it, yeah. It's super interesting. So it's from a YouTube channel called Trap City. And okay. they just have really cool instrumentals and remixes of songs, but also original songs. Um, Is it one of these things that does like 24 hour playlist kind of stuff? No, but I, I've been getting into those too. Like the lo-fi beats first. Yeah. I listen to a lot of that chilled cow. Oh oh man. The internet's so awesome. (laughs) for things. It it is, but I'm also recognizing like this aspect where um, I, I do like lo-fi music and I don't knock things that I don't, you know, know, so I don't know how to make music, but I definitely think it's like um, like elevator jazz or Muzak mm-hmm. where it's more craft than art. Like you get your kit and then you put together your chilled low hop, yeah. low five beats. That's such a great way of putting it. It's a craft rather than an art because I've seen, you know, you see videos of people. I've seen videos of people who are like, I'll make a Da Baby song. A hip hop artist I love, they'll be like, I'll make a Da Baby song in one minute, or they'll be like, I'll make a lo fi beat song in one minute. And um, yeah, there's a formula to it. Yeah. And I still like that formula. Like it speaks Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. But have it's, you seen spray paint art where people do like crazy stellar scenes and alien cities and stuff? Yeah. I, I have one on my wall here. Yeah. My buddy, and, yeah. I love all kinds of visual art. And um, yeah, the, the, uh, de- I like detailed, you know, visual art and, and creative stuff. And that falls right in there. And they're cool, but anybody can make them and you can make them in like 10 minutes. Mm. So I, I'm not knocking it as the thing that I enjoy and a, and a thing to be respected, but I do see it as more of a arts and crafts than like full blown art. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Yeah. I, I mean, the art, or maybe it's like art exists on a spectrum and this is, or maybe it is a craft. I don't know, but the, yeah, I, it's kind of, it's hard to put your finger on and it's not like it's bad if it's one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Cause I like all things that are made, but I, I don't know. There's something about, I guess it kind of factors into this idea. Like uh, you'll always work a nine to five job or you'll always be working hourly until you're doing something that can't be taught to anyone else. Like if you have a skill 
that can't be like uh, taught in school, traded uh, an apprenticeship, something like that, Mm. then you have something that is utterly unique. And up until that point, it's always replaceable. So if you are making an art form that Mm. you can watch a YouTube video of and then somebody can crack out the exact same kind of thing, then yeah, I'm not saying it isn't cool, but I'm just saying it, it's a different kind of category in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I am just so appreciative that like we as humans are, are in a position to, you know, be able to talk about things like this. Um, I consider us privileged, but, but I was sending you some stuff about hunter gatherers and apparently um, they live pretty good lives too, where they're able to have like good yeah. in-depth conversations. Yeah. And um, it's nice to know that like having like the enlightenment in Europe was, was, not unique. Like we could have had that in the bush essentially, you know, have you heard Terrence McKenna talk about the enlightenment? No, he makes an interesting point that I hadn't ever really considered. It's one of these things that, um, I take it less for granted at this point, uh-huh. but the, the enlightenment was a group of, what is that? 14th century, uh, Italian bankers essentially who are looking at a whole bunch of people who are using the, rule sets of a church government kind of entity and recognizing that these, these things aren't helping us. This isn't what we think or believe. So what they did was they had an archaic revival is the term Terrence McKenna uses where they went deep into their history and deconstructed things till they found something to build a new set of beliefs and ideas off of. And what happened was we took something that had been dead for, what, over a thousand years at that point, I think, mm-hmm. and resurrected it and then built pretty much the basis of Western society on this thing, this idea of logic and you know, what would eventually become things like the scientific method. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened if these Italian bankers hadn't done it, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to consider that it was a way that people thought for a long time and then disappeared. And then it didn't just come back on its own. Mm-hmm. There's a reason we have these ideas now when they had been lost for a long time. Yeah. 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 I think um, just looking at history through that lens is very interesting um, because I'm learning so much about the, in the past year about like indigenous Americans, all from like mm-hmm. South America through through North America Um, and they were like culturally very advanced and like scientifically very advanced and like the Europeans, all the documentations of the first Europeans that contacted indigenous Americans were like, holy shit, these people are healthy. Like they are strapping and, um, they're like clean. (laughs) Like they don't smell (laughs) these fucking dirty goddamn Europeans didn't, some of them didn't take baths their entire lives. And they were like, why are these idiots jumping in their river every morning and cleaning themselves? Um, they like to like Europeans had this totally disconnected relationship with the earth. And also, um, native Americans, uh, were able to like in the, the plains Indians and, um, like the people of the Buffalo were able Mm -hmm. to, um, craft an environment so that the Buffalo population swelled and they were able to just pick off Buffalo whenever they wanted, uh, out of this abundance. And they, they threw, um, controlled fires, 
created these highways that led Buffalo from their native habitat in like the mountain areas all the way to New York, which is why they're called like New York and Buffalo. That's why it's called Buffalo, New York. Um, I had no idea, man. Yeah. That's how good the indigenous Americans were at, at combining human management with natural ecosystems in a way that Europeans did not, you know, Europeans just kind of, especially the fucking Protestants just like wiped out the land and, um, you know, enclosed the commons more and more, but, um, had all this livestock and, uh, just, it was a completely different, you know, way of living, but the indigenous Americans were healthier. It seems like the Europeans took a detour and then got back. But, but instead of that, they built these obviously incredible buildings and warships and guns and infrastructure with iron. Um, so they, you know, it's a give and take. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of that goes back to this thing that I had an assumption about that, uh, again, it's one of those things like once you realize that it's kind of interesting, but you have this assumption that hunter-gatherers, that's all they did. That's all they had time for because of the caloric needs of a human being. So it's the beauty and advancement of agriculture that allows people to divide labor and come up with new jobs and spend more time thinking and creating societies. And that's not accurate. They look at current indigenous peoples, even in a world with struggling ecosystems, and the amount of free time that these hunter-gatherers have is comparable to people who live an agrarian lifestyle. So it's, it's more like what's the real reason for these things? Why do we assume one thing was the step towards advancement? Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were talking back and forth uh, via text about this uh, art series of articles through psychology today that blew my mind. That was talking about some of that stuff. Um, and it's cool how there are still hunter gatherer societies that we can study today. So it's not a theoretical, uh, which is nice. Um, and it, it's, it's cool to study them and see how we can combine the best of humanity. Um, uh, I, I always heard that like the Toyota Corporation um, in post-World War II era uh, was, was trying to become a good company and they would just borrow the best practices from every other company and had no ego about themselves and created this amazing like management structure or whatever. This was some famous stupid capitalist business story, but the idea was like, just take the best parts of other people's systems and don't be so beholden to any one idea or your idea is, is very interesting. So when we look at hunter gatherers, we can learn from them. Like, I'm not saying I'm not going to become a hunter gatherer. Like I'm obsessed with the internet. We're doing a podcast right now. So, but it'd be cool to combine the best of both worlds. Yeah, I, it's hunter gatherers are interesting, and we can look at examples of people who do live that lifestyle. But it's another one of these things that I do think it's worth considering. Like, we have models, we have extrapolations, we have examples of things that exist now, but that doesn't mean that all of these assumptions that we've made or even data that we've gathered know shit all about what life was for these people at that time. And a, a thing right. that I do, right. I do is really interesting is to consider, and this comes up when you talk about like, oh, the the pyramids must have been built by aliens or whatever. Mm. No, 
the pyramids are propped up by people because people have always been this smart. We have different technologies. We invent different things. We have culture, which allows us to share technologies across generations. Mm. But we're dealing with the same brain, and that mm. brain is really fucking impressive. Mm. Um, I don't know if I told you about this awesome YouTube channel called Tier Zoo, T-I-E-R. Mm. No, um, what's this? So it's a dude that created this entire YouTube channel based on the idea that zoology can be looked at through the lens of a video game. And and like okay. if you are going to enter the quote unquote world as a quote unquote player, what player style would you want? And he talks about things like tank builds, like a pig or, or a, an elephant is like a tank build. Okay. It's so fucking funny. And it you learn so much about the world. And um, he, he, like, certain animals are on easy mode, which is really funny. Like, there's these, like, tube worms that, like, live near, like, sulfur, uh, gaseous, uh, like, cracks in the ocean or whatever where no other animal can live. They're, like, on easy mode. <laughs> yeah, because um, there's, there's no predator. Right. Your mate is right there. Yeah. And you just, you thrive. Yeah, and evolutionarily, like, you're pretty basic. Like, you're only doing a couple basic life functions. So it's really funny to look at life this way. So I, I would recommend it. Um I, I don't know how I thought of that based on what we were thinking. But. No, I, I love that. I love that like way where stating something simple or obvious gives you an entirely new perspective on it. My little brother was obsessed with these memes for a while where they would take uh, animals and call them different things. Like uh, a raccoon is a trash panda. Uh-huh. But like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, but it gives you, like, another idea of, like, well, yeah, it is this kind of thing that's different. Like, mm-hmm. what is a bear? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of like a wolf gorilla. Like, the the bones look very much like a wolf, but they, you know, move quadrupedally and quadrupedally. Like, they're mm-hmm. omnivores. Yeah. There are kind of a gorilla, you know, because we don't have these great apes in our country. But they also have this, like thing that's very canine about them like very north american yeah memes are memes are like cartoons now like um in the 1800s like political cartoons were incredibly important you'd have like Mm -hmm. the big oil baron or whatever you know with it's like tentacles like like all over the world or it'd be like fdr or something um and, and those were super important that's what i learned in middle school and i didn't really understand like why the fuck people would be swayed by a cartoon you know, I'm like, why don't they just read the goddamn article? Um, even back then, I was like, there are different kinds of, there are people who are interested in policy and there are interested, there are people who are more persuaded by, who just aren't interested in politics and need something to get them interested. Um, and I think back then it was political cartoons and now it's memes. And because cartoons could be vapid and simple or they could be like Calvin and Hobbes or they could be like really complex, like, you know, uh, graphic novels. So I think memes are kind of like that these days. Yeah, I I have ADD, and I, I recognize that there's an aspect of it where my, and I assume this is at least similar for most, if not everybody, mm. my brain craves information. And it's this reason that things like uh, a phone is so addictive. We have this thing that even if it's not telling us anything important or anything we even fucking care about, Right there in our hand is a nonstop straight in your vein IV of just <laughs> information. I think sometimes, like you mentioned, political cartoons are essentially the meme of you know a previous time. They're 
people's brains were hungry for information then too. You latch onto whatever, whatever you can get. Mm-hmm. And somebody who grew up without a phone in hand or one television in the house, like I can see how much things have changed. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the internet when I was like really little. And then I got to see the internet become something that was awkward, difficult to use. And now it's just, it's easy to take it for granted. I know that's like sort of the old man thing, but like, just think about what it was a hundred years ago. Like you're, you had, are you going to bother to use a candle tonight to read a book or do you just go to bed whenever the lights get dark? Like what, what's life like? (laughs) Rough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's easy to lament how bad things are now, Mm -hmm. but man, I wouldn't trade this for anything unless it was the future. Like, yeah. Yeah, every time I go into the dentist office, I'm like, thank fucking God. Like, Eva had her appendix taken out. It's like, holy shit, thank God. Any, yeah. po- any point in the past, no thank you. You'd I be like a widower. Me. I want now. You would have watched your wife die an excruciating yeah. death. Yeah. Probably and- your third wife by this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing about hunter-gatherers. The life, now, currently, the life expectancy is 45 to 50 years. When they okay. study, when the, whether they're in Indonesia or Africa or the Amazon, hunter-gatherers... 45 to 50 years. And um, I don't know. I think I'm going to enjoy my 50s and 60s and uh, if I'm still alive then. So I think I'd rather have the technology, like you said. Like I said before, the internet's fucking great. So, yeah. I want the best of both worlds. I don't want to Here, Here's a, a plain devil's advocate on it, as I like to do. Please. So in... In cultures that recognize and respect their elders, uh-huh. I think a lot of it comes from the fact that these cultures live lives where becoming an elder isn't something everybody gets to do. Mm. So we live in a society where we are constantly extending the, the quantity of life without the quality of life. Everyone has access to it, and aging is looked at as a supreme burden. And I think it's kind of interesting to consider is life is the life that you get to live more valuable? Does it feel more meaningful to you if if the concept of plotting endlessly in years isn't something so lamented? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you gotta gotta appreciate every second you have, and if you can make it that long, that is quite a gift. Um, and so, right, like you said, because we see it all the time, because it's such a norm, maybe we're taking it for granted. And, um, I mean, we- I, I think, I think it's because there are a lot of shitty people <laughs> and maybe, maybe this is a, an over extrapolation, but like the good ones get to live longer in those societies and health is, is largely related to genetics or things that have happened to you. But there is, I think there's something to be said about being somebody who makes it to 80 in a society where that is really uncommon and what type of life decisions they may have made along the way to get to that point. Mm. And being one of these people with that kind of age and wisdom would come with it a societal respect that would, I think, be essentially a positive feedback loop. Older people are respected more. Older people act with greater dignity. Older people uh, recognize the responsibility of being old and, and leading people and sharing things. And then younger people recognize that it wasn't easy for them to get to that point. So they listen more or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't 
um, appreciate life like enough, you know, even the, the when they're it is. yeah, the, like if if young people years that everyone's fucking dang. Well, like if you're 25 and you aren't appreciating life, I, of course you're gonna have no respect for a 75 year old because it's like fucking life doesn't matter. I don't know. I for some reason this to me relates to this book I'm reading called Drug Use for Grownups, which I, which I told you about. Um, no, I don't think you did. Oh man, it's it's very eye opening. I I consider myself very knowledgeable in addiction and um, and drugs, drug use, mm-hmm. and I am learning so much. But he, this guy who's a professor of psychology at Columbia University, and has had that position for like many years. At the beginning, um, he talks about how like the in the Constitution of the United States is the pursuit of life. Uh, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and he's like, if you're not harming somebody else, um, there, it is so un-American to like make it illegal um, because it's so unconstitutional. Um, and he loves, he ties the idea of using drugs to the pursuit of happiness. And he says like specifically with like, psychedelic uh, drugs that those have been used in humanity across cultures um, throughout human history. And it's like a part of human life. And we accept that with alcohol, but we don't accept that with other drugs. Um, That's hegemony. that at the end of the day, it's, it's one of these things that it's an, an unquestioned aspect of, of this society and culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. And, I'm a hundred percent with you that um, by prohibiting psychedelics, my view is what you're essentially doing. You're, you're locking the door to someone's own mind. You as a society, as a ruling body, as a uh, evil overlord Mm -hmm. are taking something that already belongs to somebody Mm -hmm. and holding it from them Mm -hmm. punishment of actual physical harm, death or imprisonment. Mm -hmm. Like that's, it's monstrous. And I recognize this like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness thing. But, but I, I mentioned, you know, my father on this podcast, like he's, he's a staunch conservative and he considers himself a constitutionalist. Mm. Which at the end of the day just means that it's people arguing about things that people wrote 300 years ago. <laughs> and I, I'm not, full-blown throw the whole fucking thing out but i think (laughs) i think it has so little bearing on our lives now or the the way that they understood things at the time and were trying to write this thing that even the revisions we've made are are a, a drop in the bucket for how much an understanding of how to run society needs to change from one point to another. Mm. And I think that a lot of the problem is when people get mired in things like making an argument for drugs based off of a flowery line in the constitution. It, it's, it's an important line. It's an interesting line, but they didn't say, Hey, we should make all psychedelics illegal. Just like the same way they didn't say anything about abortion or a, a woman's body. Mm. And you meet people who will extrapolate the weirdest shit out of there. It's the same thing with the Bible. Powerful magical book, interesting historic document, life lesson for a lot of people. I have no problem with the thing. Mm-hmm. But quote something 
interpret it thousands of years later and then try to make changes to other people's lives based on this thing. You can make changes to your own life if you want, but don't take a super old text and try and make other people live their life differently because of it. Yeah. It's the only way it's different than the, the one way it's different than the Bible is the Bible doesn't say that it can change itself. And the constitution explicitly says that this needs to change over time. Um, because, uh, I think I've said in this pod before, maybe not to you, but like the founders of our, our founding fathers, quote unquote, and the writers of the constitution were directly influenced by like the European enlightenment and they, but they did not understand psychology because Europe didn't, Europe as a, as a culture did not understand psychology really until Freud came around, it seems like. So they didn't understand like denial and projection. So that, that's why they would say things like all men are created equal while only giving voting rights to, to white men who owned land. Yet they said, oh, but in the Constitution, we, we, have this, um, we have this thing that says that like you can amend the Constitution. So like I think they knew subconsciously that what they were doing was wrong. And if you look at George Washington's life and read his biography, like it's very clear. He knows that slavery is wrong, but he can't help himself. He can't keep himself from obviously this is wrong it's more wrong when you call into and this needs to be called into regularly it's something i point out because it isn't something that was ever pointed out in grade school it isn't something that i really realized until it was said directly when america was engaged in slave trade and slave use mm. the rest of the world had already decided this was not okay we were working with people like the dutch who were also in on that and we're continuing this kind of behavior till like what 93 94 1993 when apartheid africa ended yeah yeah That's, that that was the people in our corner yeah yeah and it's it's obvious that slavery is wrong but but i think it should really be pointed out more often that it wasn't just okay to do then and wrong now it was known to be wrong then too and it's really hard to have the kind of respect that that in some ways these people deserve mm -hmm. whenever that behavior is so not just hypocritical, but openly ruthless and evil. Mm -hmm. America was, we wouldn't be what we were if we didn't take it from a group of people and kill them all. Mm -hmm. And then another group of people who also didn't look like us to build the thing. Mm -hmm. And then as we get more civilized, we're like, Oh, well, those were mistakes country's still here still yeah still by then yeah I, with it. I, I don't know and yep. it's hard and also like not not being taught the difference between settler colonialism and um uh wars that had gone on in europe with like uh, conquest like there's a difference between like having a different king to pay taxes to and like wanting to systematically wipe out a people or have them completely assimilate into your society culturally in very small numbers. Like there's a very big difference between settler colonialism, which, which leads to genocide um, and, and just war, which had happened in Europe. And like our friends um, would like text and we would have text and you'd be like, or conversations with friends. They would be like, isn't it the same as what happened before <clears throat> in Europe? It's like, no, it's not the same. There is a difference between settler colonialism. So anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. And, but, and they, they all exist simultaneously. We look at these things who, you know, people we consider great men who wrote this document that expounded great beliefs and then didn't behave in that way. But 
so much good has come from it, like so much bad. Things do happen simultaneously. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And what's weird, what's so funny is the truth is more interesting. Like, like what, what I learned, whether it was about the battle of the Alamo, which I learned the truth about as I got older, um, which they still teach a false narrative at when you go to the Alamo, which I went to last year. You got a three, four sentence sum up for what the truth is. Make um, sure I'm on the same page here. The, the truth is um, U.S. Um, people uh, went, uh, U.S. citizens uh, bought land in Mexico and then declared that they were their own country with the backing of the U.S. Army so that a year later they could become a part of the United States. And it's very, it's identical to Israel settlements in Palestine. Okay. So it's just like, it's, a, it's as if you bought land right over the border in Canada and then just started paying U.S. taxes and raised a U.S. flag and were like, fuck you. It's like, that's not how this works. Like war of conquest um, has been made, it has been deemed illegal by the UN. And that's why we have like a United Nations. Like we've agreed that wars for conquest should, are a thing of the past. They're part of our lesser humanity. Wars for conquest on earth. Um, wars for conquest that don't involve Palestine, apparently. Because in Palestine, it's totally okay to, to have a settlement and start paying Israel taxes and be like, nope, you're, this, is, this is now part of Israel because... I say so. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things. It's hegemonically accepted that the nation of Israel is the good guy, and and it's very easy to ignore all of these different things. And I think that we're seeing more of that tide of understanding kind of turn. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, again, another sticky situation. Right, because people like your dad and... Um, like when my dad was alive and my uncle and like half my family, to be honest, they think this is fucking nuts. They think what we're talking about is crazy. Like talking about how the founding fathers were, were, um, you know, Craven, uh, slave, uh, uh, work, uh, you know, labor camp, uh, owners essentially mm -hmm. like these were labor camps. Um, and talking about how like they, they had, they were driven primarily by self-interest, although they were really good at trying to look out for other people, like with their words at the end of the day, like their psychology was limited. Um, yeah. Conservatives think we're nuts. So yeah, there's, there's a long way to go and not everyone agrees with us. So they become attacks on someone's character at that point. Right. My dad, things like uh, my, my father fought for this country. Like, yeah, I know grandpa was in world war two dad, but like that doesn't change mine or your experience with it. What's happened in the past. Like it's, I just wish people would stop making everything about their fucking feelings. Yeah. And looking at it logically doesn't totally. solve problems. Yeah. But it yeah. sure helps eliminate some of them. Yeah. And it's, and I get frustrated to, uh, for many reasons, but one of them is that I'm, they, they then view me as unpatriotic. And I'm like, I yeah. think I'm more patriotic because I have, I think, a more sophisticated understanding of like, what it happened? becomes an ego thing. It's value showing, whatever the, the common term for that thing is now. AJ, you are more American because you recognize these things about America that they don't recognize. And they're more American because they understand the traditions that you'll never wrap your head around. And like, right. I'm also wrong. I, I am wrong for saying I'm more patriotic. There's no such thing as being more or less patriotic. I don't think maybe. Oh, yeah. Is. You maybe can be more is. patriotic. Well, you get I, a, I, uh, get a, an American flag tattooed on your chest. You're 74% more 75. patriotic. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Maybe I should do that. It, I don't know if you're a better American. I, 
doubt you're much more intelligent, but yeah, you've nailed patriotic there in a way that I haven't. That's true. Yeah. I want to be a good American. Like I just want to be a good human. And, um, I think, yeah, having a sophisticated view of history where, cause it, like I, it doesn't, it's diminished a little bit of how great, you know, I think the founding fathers are versus the, the brainwashed version, but not by that much. Like I still think they were like incredible people. Um, I just, I'm just not going to give them everything. Like they're not fucking saints. Like, <laughs> like you if can be, were, a, if, they, if they've been sanctified by the Catholic church, like again, it's a question of terminology. Like we, one organization chooses, we, you write a narrative after a thing happens, if you're the victor, and then you, you use your terms, founding father, saint, you know, hero. What's, they're all people, man. Yeah, the saints are pretty good, though. Well, um, this, <laughs> this, um, this kind of leads to what I what we wanted to talk about on this podcast, which we were texting back and forth about free will and chaos theory and what I call determinism. But you were saying like they're all just people; they're not, um, you know, they're just people. But I do think that certain saints are legitimately awesome. Um, but and you're talking things like um, where we we recognize that people who seek paths of enlightenment sometimes seem to have existences within this corporeal world that aren't explained by our common understanding. So the sort of argument, like if Jesus was real and if, um, uh, let's see his name, Paramahansa Yogananda, do you know this guy? Um, not off the top of my head. He, one of these gurus from like, I want to say the 19, 20s, 30s, came okay. to America, brought yoga with him, changed a lot of people's oh, lives. Okay. Oh. He was believed to have what they call yoga cities, which are essentially like yoga magic powers, existing in two places at once as a yoga city, being able to move through physical matter. Uh-huh. And you look at these things like Jesus made a whole bunch of fish and, and bread, and he seemed to have an understanding of things at a deeper level than other people. Born a man, but maybe maybe some kind of enlightenment or something like I, I can recognize how we have accounts of these people and that maybe something more is going on there, which I think for me is sort of a core tenet of why I pursue, you know, like magic in general, because you're talking about being able to experience more out of this world than what we see on the surface. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, I, were you talking, were you saying that saints, that you equate saints with the, those kind of things? So um, a lot of stories of uh, like what gets somebody to be made a saint, because you have to, there are criteria. You have to like perform miracles, maybe more than one. Yeah, I don't mean that shit. I don't mean that shit. I don't mean those kinds of saints. I mean the saints that like feed the poor. (laughs) You talk, oh, just good people? Yeah, I assume, I assume like the turning water into wine stuff. Like I'm assuming psychedelics have a lot to do with that and um, advertising. Like we need to, we need to pump up this stock called Christianity and uh, what's going to do it is telling people that Jesus turned water into wine. I don't know, man, because you, you do, you hear contemporary stories about people who have column powers. Um, Alistair Crowley's an interesting character. Uh, have you ever heard of, um, what's her name? Well, wait, what, Al- what powers did Aleister Crowley have that have been, that have, that are like on video? Cause video existed when Aleister Crowley was alive. So why isn't any of this? I don't, I, I don't know what, 
what might have been recorded or not. I, I think obviously anecdotal accounts are a big part of this. Um, and you know, anecdotal accounts often come from people's friends. Yeah, I yeah. think that I think Alistair Crowley was full of shit. If he if they were talking about him actually performing magic, but I could be wrong. Um, that's just my opinion because I've never seen it. I just I I would never doubt the existence of something if I haven't seen it. It's like it could be true. There could be a magic spaceman called God, and Alistair Crowley may have levitated or whatever. But um, do you think you think there's a possibility of that? I guess you have to. I I think. And and again, this is why I pursue magic because I don't know what's out there, but I'm bored. I, I refuse to accept that even as beautiful as all of this that we see is, mm-hmm. I guess I just want there to be more. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I find it interesting to ask these questions and to see what other people have done where they've claimed that they've had the opportunity to experience more than this. That's, you asked me before if I was a Satanist or, yeah. or anything. I, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious and I'm hopeful. Yeah, yeah. cool. That makes sense. Um, I think that's, for, for me personally, I think for certain people, the highest form of humanity is um, discovery or, or reflection. Um, like, like cognizance, if you will, is itself the highest thing that a human can achieve. Like, I think we are here on earth to be the eyes of the world, uh, mm-hmm. to borrow the Grateful Dead quote. Um, our job is to reflect back on everything, which involves learning and maybe experiencing things like psychedelic drugs or, or uh, practicing magic and really exploring the space, you know? And it becomes one of those things that's just a maxim, like what is the meaning of life? Mm-hmm. This is Alan Watts, to live. Like, that's it. Yeah. It is that simple. And you'll spend your entire life thinking of this and questioning it, and maybe, maybe you'll have a deeper understanding of it, but... But it's one of those things you can say. You've heard other people say it, like everything is love. And then you you feel something for a moment where that makes more sense to you. And it's this problem where words and information can only get us so far. Yeah. And then there's something about the synthesis of those things that utterly changes really simple axiomatic phrases like that. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, I think just now I've, You've made me think of it. I think the meaning of life for me is exploration. You know, to put it in one. Way. And and again, uh, Crowley here, his argument is that the meaning of life is to find your true will. So there is no single meaning of life. You need to be working hard every day to figure out what you need to be doing. Like that's the hardest job, is figuring out what your job is. Yeah, and I mean, true. Personally, I got. I've always experienced that. Yeah. Um. Well, now I'm saying the meaning of life for me. I don't think that's the ultimate meaning of life. Have I told you about the Buddhist two truths, if you will? It's like a concept in Buddhism. No, I'm not familiar. So in, in like, there's the idea that um, there is one kind of truth, which is like conventionally true. Like it is true that I am a person with an ego, you know, that is true, but it is not ultimately true. The ultimate truth is that there is no such thing as ego. And that we are all the same. And so Buddhism believes that there's like two truths. It depends on how you look at things, essentially. Reality is subjective. Um, so my the meaning of my life is exploration. 
And, and to me, that's held together with love. But I think that the ultimate meaning of life is nothing. Like, life has its own meaning, which is another way of saying life is meaningless. Um, okay, so I want to get into, into free will, because you mentioned that okay. Aleister Crowley yeah. said the, yeah. the meaning well, let's, of... Let's dig in here. And to give my, my half of the recap, you know, we were discussing this last time. Uh, I've had this conversation with other people, and where I really struggle is that proving whether or not free will does or does not exist doesn't change any of the outcomes or any of uh, my subjective experience or, in my opinion, what I would understand to be other people's subjective experience. Mm -hmm. And the question I posed to you at that point is, what's the fucking point? Right. You could convince me and I could wake up tomorrow and be like, there is no free will. Or I could convince you here and be like, whoa, it actually is all free will. Right. Okay of our lives would change. Right. So it's incredibly important to understand that you don't have free will because you, people who understand that there is no free will understand that, uh, or those people are more forgiving to each other because you, you completely understand that if you did something shitty, it's because of your history. Um, and there's this, there's this line from this TV show called devs, uh, which is on Hulu, which is really cool. I've, I've watched Nicole a couple Hoffman. episodes. Yeah. yeah. And it gets into that first chaos theory like that. Right. Yeah. So one of the uh, female characters says cause precedes effect. Effect leads to cause. The future is fixed in exactly the same way as the past because the future is entirely determined on the past. Therefore they are inextricably linked and and so your inability to see how the past and the future are linked does not mean that they are not linked um does that make okay so now now i'm getting into whether whether free will exists i want to go back to the benefits both of these concepts and for the first one your argument that it's really important that people recognize this so they have greater empathy i think it's shot to shit with the same argument like hey, you know this one, let's put acid in the water and then everybody will understand everybody so much more and LSD will fix everything and people will be more empathetic. And the truth is we've seen enough use of LSD to know that it doesn't make people good. If anything, it makes people more of what they were, a lot like alcohol. I think that to say that everyone coming to the same truth, even if we all agree with the parameters of that, does not have any bearing on how people will use that truth. I think that if we all agreed that we didn't have free will, I don't personally see there being so much as a lick of difference in the world, but definitely not, not a great sea change for good and arguably just as easily possible, great sea change for bad. Oh, there's no free will. Then I have every excuse to do everything that I wanted to do. Um, but that falls, that falls apart because you are not a per, like you are not a person if you don't have free will. Um, you are like okay. you're gonna you're gonna fuck yourself over so hard if you. That's that's what's part of it. Understanding that there's no free will also means that you are connected with every other part of the universe. This is what monotheistic religions call. It's God's will, inshallah. That's why fucking Islam, Muslim people always say inshallah because it's like God willing. Because and and this is what Christians say when it's it's God's will. I give it up to God. It's not me doing it. I'm it's God working through me. Um, uh, yeah, because when you when you give up free will, 
you understand. And, and also the Christians who say it's God's will, like those are the good ones. Those are the people who, who are, who like would be good regardless if they were Christian or not. Um, okay. because they've given up their conception of free will, which means that you're connected to every moment in your past. Um, and you're just a complete product of your past. And I, I think if you, when you give up free will, uh, the idea of free will, you're much more willing to live in a socialist society because I didn't earn one penny of this money. And like my intellect that allows me to fucking fuck you over and be a murderous rapist or whatever you think that people would do. My intellect is because of others. Um, it's because of the environment. It leads to immense love. You end up loving the trees. Like you, like you, it goes beyond love for humanity. You end up loving every little part of the universe. To, to me, again, what I'm seeing is you arguing a, a separate point, egoism, like destruction of the ego. Yeah, I think that that's, that's good. Make you less uh, individualistic and self-centered, recognize the autonomy and importance of other people and other entities that you exist but i don't everybody who everybody who's given up the idea of free will has also given up the idea of ego i don't think that they have i, I guess except the, the calvinists like yeah the, i guess the, there are some ass there are psychopaths you're right but that's like a really small percentage of the population so yeah i guess one like three percent of people are going to be psychopaths but 97 percent of people are going to want to live in a social society Three three percent of people being psychopaths is a lot bigger problem than we have now. I don't know. If three percent of the world was psychopaths, we'd be dealing with millions and millions of psychopaths running around. Seems seems pretty seems pretty spot on. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I have never met a person who has took the red pill on free will that it also does bad things. <laughs> like I'm I'm t like or or who also. Um, yeah, just like wants to be that much of an asshole. I I see very few people using a complicated argument to justify utterly monstrous behavior and engage in more of that that they wouldn't have had they not gone down a philosophical path towards seeking a higher truth. I, so I can definitely see where people who would dig into this question enough to decide they'd come to a conclusion on it would probably be already somebody who's making good decisions in their life and choosing to be half decent. Yeah. It's a self-selecting sample. That's what you're saying. I, I still, I still struggle to see your, the, the logic or the argument form that you have that says, if you agree that you have no free will, then you also agree that you aren't an individual. Um, well, you don't have to agree that you're not an individual. You have to agree that you are not responsible for, the good things that happen to you. Um, like, I think like if I don't, I don't understand how you can, you can realize that you're not responsible for your health and for your happiness and not be thankful to those who gave it to you. If you're not thankful for those who provided you happiness, then you are a psychopath. And like, you have a serious mental problem and we need to, we like, that's a serious concern and we need mental health care. Or you're a sociopath. I, I recognize the aspects of privilege that I enjoy. I'm 100% on board with you there. I know that had my 
if this is how it works, had my consciousness been dropped into a person in uh, the developing world who had no means or had my own consciousness been dropped in this body and I didn't have the access to the IQ that I have or whatever, you know, metric we're using to measure something like that. There are things that are utterly out of my hands that have resulted in my good fortune. But at the same time, there are aspects of my happiness and decision-making and, and choices and hard work that have provided me the life that I appreciate. And that appreciation comes largely from the recognition that, that I've built this thing. I, I do see myself as an individual and I do see myself as responsible for the good and bad things that happen to me. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think, I don't think your ha- I don't think your happiness is tied to you thinking that you made the decision uh, or you made your choices. Like you're not going to be less happy so you're probably going to be happier if you give up free will. So saying I'm happy with my ego to me isn't a good reason to give up more happiness. Um, and also you're thinking that I'm convincing some like hedge fund manager uh, to that he gives up his free will, uh, which, which is part one person that I would be convincing. But also I'm talking about like raising a child. Like there's crazy enormous benefits to raising a child being under letting them understand that like you're a product of your environment. The only fucking reason that you feel good right now is because people take care of you and you need to take care of them. And that is like the most important thing on earth is taking care of others. So like when you're creating other humans also for selfish reasons, I need fucking people to take care of me when I'm old and breaking down. So it just makes yeah. practical sense. So like if we're building a society, this makes sense to teach our children that like, no, 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 no. This is not you. You didn't fucking learn to play the flute. Um, you, you benefited from this delightful, delicious earth and, and, and how fucking, this is orgasmic. How amazing this is that, that the flute is, is flowing through you. And you know, um, I don't know. I, I think it, so it doesn't, I, doesn't I, make anything less like special. I have a valid argument against this, I think. I, I think that actual personal happiness has a lot to do with a mindset of a person. And I think that there are times when none of my factors have changed and I've made the decision to recognize you know, certain aspects and dismiss others and choose to be happy or not to be happy. And it's kind of an interesting like aside, but I find that when I'm journaling frequently mm. and revisiting my day, there's a level of editing that goes into this thing. I don't, I make a personal point in all of my life not to be dishonest. And that would go doubly for myself. Mm-hmm. There are aspects where I can look at it and the way that I'm phrasing something, the way that I can look at the, you know, three noticeable things that happened to me during that day could either be negative or they could be positive depending on how I view that. To me, happiness is so much more a matter of what I consider like a filter or a perspective than it is about um, maybe. So obviously for your point, it's an abandonment of free will, but I guess the larger point I'm making is that the exact same things can happen in either scenario and you can choose or choose not to be happy with it. Um, Sure. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to the Buddhist two truths. I, I agree. Like you can choose to be happy, but what are I, the two truths again? 
um, like something can be conventionally true, but not ultimately true. I think it's conventionally true that you can quote unquote choose to be happy, but ultimately whether you choose to be happy is up to factors that are outside of your control and, and you're not consciously aware that you're out of control of those factors. That's a bummer, man. I mean, that's what the, that's what Freud calls the subconscious. It's a bummer to think that, that I don't, that even, even that small modicum of agency that, that I can never, never be taken from me. You can put me in solitary confinement in you know, manacles, uh, you can dope me up. You'll never take that bit from me that I, I choose to make my own decisions, even if you've limited all those things to me as much as you possibly can. I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I recognize why this is sort of a, a maximum or a starting point for a lot of philosophies. Mm-hmm. I just don't see it as a positive. I don't see it as a positive because I think, I think that it doesn't agree with my concepts where I find value in myself. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I guess I don't, yeah, I guess I do find myself less valuable. I don't know. I, I yeah, feel you're giving up all these values. I feel like a you're, lot you're better. Like for some reason it makes all, me feel all of these now. things that make me good. Nah, <laughs> I mean, not only are they completely unimportant, but I didn't do anything for them and they don't even really exist. Well, I, th- I think and for me, I, I'm so much more comfortable saying like, Hey, I do have these things. I know I, I come from a, a standpoint where like, I really don't think a lot of this reality is real, or I think it's worth at least questioning a lot of it. But, but you're asking about giving up, I guess all of that, but within the realm of the mind. I'm essentially exchange. I'm asking you to exchange whatever feeling you're describing for gratitude. Like I felt more gratitude than ever. I think, I think that is an emotion that would go up, um, which like people who, who firmly believe that they are in control of every single decision since, I don't know, they were seven. I don't know. Like when the point becomes where like you stop being influenced by your past. Like, but yeah, I'd rather I have, have agency t- than gratitude. Have, what's that? I'd rather have agency than gratitude. Um, I think gratitude feels a lot better. Like I, I think agency gives you a lot of ups and downs, and gratitude fills you um, in a way that that gives you like a lot more purpose. Um, also, I think agency makes me feel more powerless because I'm not a billionaire. Um, and so it's like, I fucking, I am an ant uh, compared to these, these giants. Like I relatively have very little influence on the world, um, which fucking blows. Like I used to get super depressed. I think that's the thing. I was very depressed when I, mm-hmm. when I didn't, when I thought that I had free will um, because I thought that, I was in control. Um, and that was really depressing to me because it's like, well, if I'm in control, like I'm failing, I'm like a fucking failure because I'm, I consider myself a really high level thinker mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really, I'm pretty active. And so if I'm combining those, like I should be Russell Simmons. Like this is so depressing that people I went to school with are crazy successful 
Um, and I'm not, that's like the fucking blue. And then I, then people started telling me like, no, no, no. Like you are connected to the entire universe in ways that you have no idea. And so like one conversation that you had with my kid is going to change his life in ways that you have no idea. Um, just like one, you net like one little act of kindness can like completely butterfly effect and change somebody. And in fact, that's what happened to me. The reason I am who I am is because of a million little butterfly effects, little conversations people had with me that they thought were inconsequential or whatever. Um, so it made me realize like I'm connected to the whole universe. The universe is connected to me. I have incredible amounts of gratitude for everybody and everything. Um, and I don't need to be better than anybody else. I need to help everybody else. And I think anyone who takes the red pill on free will feels that way. Yeah, man. I, I just, again, maybe it's this thing. It's like saying like everything is love and then maybe for one brief moment in your life, you get to experience that and it just fucking suddenly makes sense to you. Maybe this aspect of this thing has just made sense to you. You've, you've had this epiphany that, that I haven't, that makes the, the logic and words of your argument equate into the feeling and synthesis and understanding of this thing. But this aspect, like you were feeling unhappy and comparing yourself to other people, I too have done that, but I have, you know, sought my ways of overcoming this unhappiness with other means. And for the most part, that is, it's agency-based. It's less um, abandoning the concept that all of this was going to happen anyways Mm -hmm. and more uh, recognizing that if I'm feeling bad about other people, it's myself that's making this problem. It's an ego issue. It's not the entire universe conspiring to put people above me or needing to recognize my small standpoint or to strive to be better. It's, it's about comparing myself to myself, not other people. I think your philosophy is more in line with our, um, how our nervous system is set up. Like, I think, I think our bodies tell us that what you're saying is true. Does that make sense? Go on. Um, I think that your point of view that we have agency and that we are individuals um, and that our choices are ours is, mm-hmm. is a result of the way our nervous system is set up um, because we have billions of, of stimuli coming in through, through billions of channels. Our nervous system developed a central processing unit to be able to take care of all of that. And so rather than having like a disp- disparate, um, sequence of impulses and responses. We have a central processing unit that's able to, to synthesize all of these billions of bits of information per second and put it into a single entity, which is you. And so rather, it, it literally billion, bup, 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 all the fucking time, dude, bup, 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 every second. Yeah. And, and, and you, and, and so this is just your nervous, our, this just makes it easier for you to live. Is a hallucination. And hallucination is maybe not the best term for it, but there, yeah, I'm with you. There are so many sensors on our body. All of the visual input that I'm getting is actually something of the past because it has to be processed through these things to create something where I'm not even recognizing that I'm not making the distinction between seeing somebody over here, hearing somebody and knowing that somebody is there. Like, Mm. yeah, that's, that's why consensus reality is 
such a fiction. Like, And so I think you're falling into the trap that thinking that this is ultimate reality, like just because your body tells you that you are making this decision doesn't mean you're actually making a decision. That's just the easiest thing for your body to process. You're just trying to get through the fucking day. Your, your nervous system also did not evolve to objectively observe reality. Your nervous system evolved to, to uh, live long enough so you can fuck and reproduce and, and raise yeah, your kids. So like, I don't think that because your nervous system tells you that you're making a decision, I, I don't think that that's a good reason to say that free will exists. Um, you didn't choose where you were born, and I think it ends there. You did not choose where where, and when you were born, and therefore every other decision in your life is, is based on that. So you have no free will. <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm just not down with that. Like, there's so many things that could happen. Like, look at twin studies. People with literally the same genetics in the same household growing up. Uh-huh. Two completely different types of individuals. Yeah, they didn't Lit- get the same nutrients. And yeah. They didn't get the same nutrients in utero. They, they absolutely did not get the same nutrients in utero. That does not happen. There are little differences. There's a little, If one vein is off in the mom... And blood, 10% more blood gets to one fetus. And guess what? That kid's going to be bigger. That kid's going to maybe have a bigger body. That kid's going to be better at sports. There are all kinds of other things. No, it probably does. Um, But then the other (laughs) kid, but the other kid's probably going to be more clever because, because the other one. It sounds like, it almost sounds like you're making a religious argument at this point. Like even like not recognizing like, yeah, the world is complex and diverse. And we both agree on that. But you're saying because it's complex and diverse, then all of these things are just going to happen. And I'm saying it's complex and diverse and so many different things can happen. So many different outcomes can come of that. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, so many outcomes can come of that, but only one outcome will come of that because of, yeah. because of previous conditions. Um, I'll give you another. Oh yeah, go ahead. I was going to say another thing that's kind of interesting. This argument, it puts a lot of emphasis on the past and the future, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting because, because they're really important, but they're not fucking real. They're not important at all for this conversation. The past and the future. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The past and the future. Well, I mean, they should be recorded. The crux of, of the logic argument for there is no free will, that everything that happened in the past determines these events that will happen in the future. And I think that yeah, yeah. a a worldview that focuses so much on taking everything off of the present moment, the the living moment that the recognition that the only thing that actually does currently exist is right now. Mm-hmm. Like this this is it. This is the space-time continuum. All of these things in the past we have records of, we kept understanding of, but that doesn't exist anymore. And all of these possible outcomes, or arguably from your argument, the only single possible outcome, that doesn't exist either. Um, I think it does exist. That's the thing. I think the future exists. I think the future... Does the exist? Yeah, they all exist right now. I think I think they all exist in this moment. Uh, like Traumafedorian style? I don't Do know. you know these guys? I don't know. Number five, the Kurt Vonnegut book. Oh, I, I've read that in high school, but I don't really remember. So it's it's a World War II story about a guy. 
struggling with, you know, the events of the war, bringing up a family, but at the same right. time, it's also a time travel alien, time traveling alien story. Uh-huh. And Vonnegut's great at doing that, like really human experiences, but with totally unexpected circumstances to make them interesting to look at. And, uh, this character encounters these aliens called the Traumathodorians who essentially allow them to hop through time, but they're, they're fascinated by how limited a human's perspective of time is because for this entity, all time exists simultaneously. You, you live in every moment at once. You, they describe human beings as uh, a person on a train looking through a post, like a pole, at a mountainside passing like the it it's shocking to them that we could have such a limited perspective on this world mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think so i think us living in the present makes it hard to properly evaluate free will okay so i have a quote a really long quote from this philosophy professor and i don't know if mm-hmm. it's going to make sense <clears throat> unless you read it but the dude's name is david landy from san francisco state university so he says Suppose we know that some guy is going to fold his arms. Does it follow that he lacks the ability to not fold his arms? Well, no, because what we usually mean by has the ability to not fold his arms is that if things had gone differently, he wouldn't have folded his arms. But by stipulating at the start that he is going to fold his arms, we also stipulate that things aren't going to go differently. But it can remain true that if they did go differently, he would not have folded his arms. So he might have that ability even though he knows he's not going to exercise it, even though we know he's no, he's not going to exercise it. I might have to just send you this quote. It's kind of no, no, confusing. I'm hearing it and, and I, I get it. Like if, if reality happens, then it had to have, it had to have come from something before it, I think. And, uh- Big part of my philosophy in life is the ability to recognize that I hold two concepts that might not agree with each other, that might even be diametrically opposed, and I can put equal weight on them. That's the two truths. Yeah, go ahead. Consider and accept them without necessarily deciding I need one or the other. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, Schrodinger's cat is something that we've all heard of, but, man, I've always fucking hated it, but I I spend a lot of time thinking about this thing, and it's, it's relevant because we are looking at how measurable amounts of this consensus reality that we live in behave in these ways. That's where it's fascinating to me that two things can exist simultaneously, that two truths can exist simultaneously, and one isn't necessarily weighted to have more than the other. We don't get a full understanding of this particle unless we recognize that that both are equally the same. We can what is it that for the particles we can know their uh, vector or we can know their position, but uh-huh. we can never know both at the same time. Yeah. Because we're recognizing that our brains understanding this thing is not, it's not a full enough encompassment of what this thing is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I need to tell, I need to say another thing, another reason why taking the red pill on free will is good. Um, It makes death much easier to understand and to like process rather. Um, So um, if, if 
I guess this is more the disillusion of the ego. Like I think that giving up free will means you're dissolving your ego to a certain extent. Not, not conventionally. Like that's the thing. I'm still very ego driven. I'm still really proud of my accomplishments. And like, if something's going wrong that I'm in charge of, I I'm like incredibly prideful and I get like angry at people if they're like working against me. This is happening right now with my nonprofit. Like I'm like in the state of Colorado and this one woman. So like I'm incredibly ego driven, but, um, I, I still, um, like have a lot of disillusion of the ego. So I owe a lot of who I am to other people. And I think that my influence goes like so far beyond my death. Um, like I told you, I, I worry about what my influence or impact on the world is. Um, but if I help somebody grow up to be a good person, um, they're going to help other people grow up to be good people. Um, and they'll be supportive of people around them. And because I've taken the red pill on free will, I believe that I'm just a, a result of all the interactions I've had essentially and all the environments I've been in, all the trees that have given me oxygen and all the, the people who have given me perspectives. Um, so I know that my influence is eternal uh, because I have, I have given so much that it will carry on for hundreds and thousands of years for as long as humanity lives. Which to again, play devil's advocate, it sounds rather ego-based that this ultimate understanding you're half about getting rid of your free will means that your AJ's actions on this world have impact and meaning and will forever. Yeah. Because I'm a human. I can't get rid of the, I can't get rid of the the lie that I am a person. <laughs> so I'm going to frame everything as me. Um, but, but none of it matters because it's either going to happen or it isn't. And you have no control over that. Um, right. But it's fun to be, I want to be a part of it. So it's a complete, it's a complete choice. I'm going to be a little bit aggressive here, but like, that's kind of the thing. Like you're saying, I don't know. Do you get your cake and eat it too? Like, no, that's the thing about karma. Once you reach a high enough karma, you don't want to fucking go down. You don't want to backslide. Like I don't, People who, who achieve this don't want to do fucked up things, I don't think. Um, well, isn't that kind of the point of the Bodhisattva, though? The, the teacher who, who has the opportunity to acquire true enlightenment and escape the mortal coil, but decides not to in order to stay and help people. Um, like That's, that's yeah. our, our greatest shining examples of those who've actually reached enlightenment are those who choose not to fully, fully undergo the change. Right. I think because bodhisattvas understand that they are not themselves. They are the entire universe. So the entire universe needs to be enlightened before they can be enlightened. The only way that you'll be, that the bodhisattva will be enlightened is if everyone is because they are everyone. Um, and so in Buddhism, like you, you can see it as dissolving the ego or you can see it as expanding your ego. Um, like there's a phrase. What that, is a singularity, but put all the same anyways. Yeah, there's a phrase that goes like um your 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 soul is not inside your body, your body is inside your soul. So if you're you have to think about your soul as encompassing the entire earth. You know, my soul is the earth. 
that everything is one. Yeah, I'm like a localized expression of the earth or of the universe. Um, kind of like uh, waves on the ocean. This is another Buddhist um, koan, or, or I don't know if it's koan, like a one hand clapping. A koan's like a, a riddle, kind of. But a Buddhist, a K-O-A-N. Um, but a Buddhist concept is waves on the ocean. The wave is an individual, but it's a part of the ocean. And after it's gone, it goes back into the ocean. And that's who we are. We're an expression of the entire universe. We're a localized entropy, a localized energy source. And we think that we are separate. Um, but again, that's just our nervous system. So yeah, I th once again, I think it makes death easier because it makes me more ex uh, more comfortable with my influence on the world. Um, but also I've become much more accepting of like loved ones dying. Um, because it's, it's your death as well. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I guess it's, I can't not, really think not of to attribute what I assume your feelings on the thing are. No, I mm -hmm. think that's part of it. Yeah. I, it's hard to put the words to it, but for some reason I feel a lot more comfortable with loved ones dying. Um, now that I've understand now that I understand that there's like no such thing as free will. Um, but I think also that's ego disillusion. Like I don't, I don't see them as an individual person anymore. Like my uncle, um, my uncle's energy is so much still alive, even though he died last year. Um, it's like he, I am who he was um, in some ways. And so <clears throat> that's just kind of how society works. <clears throat> and that's how genetics work. And, and culture. I think that's how culture we, is this, the technology think, of sharing these things forever. Yeah, you know? I think this is, how reality works. And so I think that you, you being under the illusion that you are making choices is false. I don't think that aligns with reality. I think it aligns with our nervous system. But our nervous system is reality. Like, and, and is there any greater or more interesting thing to look at any greater mystery, any more complex, but absolutely critical incarnation in this consensus reality we live in than the human mind? Um, no, but I, I could also poke holes that, that our nervous system aligns with, with this free will thing. Like I said, like we can't start talking German right now. I don't speak German because I didn't, I didn't grow up in a family that did. So like, I don't have free will. Like I can't. And there are, as you know, there are words in German that like mean things that express things that I can't necessarily express in English. So maybe I'm not, like I don't even I don't even have the choice to express myself uh, in a certain way, and and so I don't I don't know I I just think once you once you try and say like okay I'm just gonna look for examples of where free will doesn't exist you're gonna see them everywhere, and and I think you're gonna feel better about it about yourself. <laughs> you think that finding examples of where free will doesn't exist provide you a satisfaction with your, your view on life. Um, yes. And also it's part of my meditation practice. Uh, there's a, there's a meditation practice called Tonglen. It's T-O-N-G-L-E-N. And it's, I heard of that. yeah, it's the practice of exchanging. Um, I forget what the direct translation is, but you're essentially exchanging energy with others. And 
Um, you meditate on is, is either it a communal practice. What's that? Is it a communal practice? No. Um, you just think about somebody that like you honestly don't give a shit about, like maybe <clears throat> somebody that you know, maybe a, a, a clerk at the grocery store or like a neighbor or somebody you pass, you know, at work, or it could be somebody you hate. And the okay. idea is to um, think about the trauma that they may have gone through as a child or think about how where they were born in the world and at what time they were born um, influenced their views and, and, and have compassion and empathy for the pain that they are, the karmic pain that they are going through because of the circumstances they were put in. Um, Which fits back into exactly what you're saying. There's not always a word for the thing, but there, there's a word for that in French. It's called sonder. Oh, you familiar with this? No. So sonder is uh, the moment of realization where you recognize that another individual has had a life as complex, nuanced, and myriad as your own. <laughs> oh, cool. Sort of, sort of a like an epiphany. It, I, I was on a cruise ship years ago and out in the middle of the ocean, nothing around for miles, and it was nighttime, and I saw another cruise ship way off on the horizon, and you can express what these words mean, but for a moment, like it was that synthesis, that feeling like it's intense. And it yeah. sounds like this meditative practice is essentially uh, an effort to, to experience Sonder as often as possible or, or more often. Um, yeah, it, it, it probably doesn't manifest itself as, as often. It doesn't manifest itself often as like an epiphany. Cause I've had that feeling too, which is amazing. Yeah, um, man, epiphanies are great. Yeah, so this could lead to that. Um, <sighs> this is this is cool. This is kind of like a performance enhancer um, for for like your psychology, um, because the the first half of the meditation is is absorbing their karmic pain, um, and also I think this is good. Like if you have a like I think all children at one point in their life were traumatized by their parents, even if it was a little trauma. You know, at some point it's gonna happen. We're human. And I think yeah. the way that you get over that trauma or the, an easy way to get for, for me to get over that trauma is to understand the pathology to understand that like, essentially it's not their quote unquote, their fault. Like there's a reason there's like a pathological, like they're fucked up in the head essentially if, if there's severe trauma, you know? Um, and so you, you kind of can forgive them. Um, like what Christians say when you, when you can understand like the pathology of, of like why they behaved in a, in a, in a fucked up in a way that, like cause trauma. Um, but anyway, so the first half of this meditation is absorbing what I call the karmic pain and the trauma, um, that may have led to this person being like this. Um, and, and they might not be hostile towards you. They might just be a normal person going about their day, but you know, everybody fucking has this inside of them. Everybody has some pain. And so even if you don't really know them and they're not being hostile towards you, like you can, you can get at their pain in this meditation. And then the second half is you give them love and you give them compassion or loving kindness, as they say, um, this kind of unbridled, like I'm going to give, I'm going to love on you because not necessarily because you deserve it, but because like, this is good for you and this is good for me. Um, and the results, man, like if you do this, you're going to walk around and you're going to start being like so much more empathetic to people. Like you're just going to encounter people and be like, I feel your fucking pain and, and I'm giving you love. And like it, 
kind of predicates every single interaction you have with somebody at a certain point. And then you're just like, you're just living this life where you're like, I have so much gratitude for you and I feel what you're going through. And um, it's very helpful for society. Can I share, uh, again, this is devil's advocate, but I think it's, it's something I think a lot about anymore. It's, I'm always hesitant of hegemony, anything where we take something for granted and, and fail to ask questions about it. And I think that there are certain things that our society views as, uh, as positive that aren't necessarily positive. Sobriety uh, is a good example. We, we put a lot of moralistic value on sobriety. Mm-hmm. Somebody who doesn't drink at all must be a good person. <laughs> right. Somebody who's never used drugs is a better person than somebody who smokes pot regularly. And uh, it's one of these things that even as somebody who knows logically it's not true at all, it's part of what we're ingrained into believing and something that I still recognize and struggle with on my own. Mm -hmm. And I think that empathy is another one of these ones where it's good for you if it's good for you, much like Christianity. And I'm not here to tell anybody they shouldn't be empathetic, but I don't personally view an abundance of empathy as something that that I certainly don't desire it. And I don't necessarily think that we would be better off if everybody had this. I love that this world is a mix of people. And I love that there are people with lots of empathy and very little empathy. And as somebody who I would be comfortable saying that I'm lower, if this is a spectrum, if, and I, I, I think of people as like a series of dials almost Mm -hmm. it's not ones and zeros, but you know, you can turn this thing up or you can turn that thing down. I think that my empathy is relatively low and I think it's made me a happier person than a lot of people that I've interacted with. My ex-wife was somebody who was very concerned about everyone around her being happy. And it was this thing that caused her to, you know, stress, like, why is this thing not happening? How does this person feel right now? And for me, I'm just like, what's the big deal? Like, I don't care. I, I don't want to care more. And I don't think it's necessarily good or bad to care more, to feel more of what other people feel. Yeah. I think that's more of, there's an interloping factor there. Like, I don't think more empathy would make somebody more likely to be like depressed or, or caring about others. Um, I want to look up, hold on. I want to look up if empathy, if they've done any studies about does empathy increase happiness? Because, well, I I will say, and this is uh, a a thing that I've been thinking about and considering lately and and haven't fully formed the idea, but I think a lot of what we see where um, a a lot of left wing arguments are are starting a lot of people, uh, I think the conservative media term is value, is it value signaling? Yeah, like virtue, virtue single, signaling. Virtue yeah. signaling. We're looking at a lot of people with a whole lot of empathy, and that empathy is in overdrive. And you behaving in a violent manner for what you believe is a good reason, I don't believe is ever good. I, How is that an overdrive of empathy? The violence and empathy are completely opposite. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. No, no, no. That, that, that is so I, I will, wrong. I will explain this. That is and so then they're not have you empathetic. Have heard of Roshi Joan Halifax? Heard of who? Roshi Joan Halifax? No. She's a Zen Roshi. She's an author. Okay. Uh, I, 
about her through podcasts, and she describes this thing. Uh, social justice warrioring is the like the the media term for this, but you're looking at people who are uh, seeking justice, seeking being right, and doing so in a manner that is negatively impactful. And your choice to get on a message board or uh, burn down the home of a child molester, like we see this thing. That's not empathy though. How is that? Do you know that a definition of empathy? I'm sorry to be condescending, but define, define it for me and help me, help me understand if I'm missing the point here. It's the capacity to feel um, what another person is experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're, but if you're, so if you're experience, if you can feel what another person is experiencing, you would never burn down their house because you would feel the burn. No, no, no. These people now feel all of these things. Oh, this person molested children, so they have this empathy for the children. It's causing them to behave violently. Right. They have a lack of empathy. They have a lack of empathy for the for the rapist. How, so, so how you're, you're describing, you're describing it. You're not describing an overdrive of empathy. You're describing one sided. You're describing half empathy. That's not, that's not empathy. There's no empathy I, for the rapist. I think, I think a lot of people view that as empathy. And I think and they're that wrong. That with the magic wand and say more empathy in the world, we would see a lot more people behaving. The world would look even more like the internet than it already does. No, but see, this is a, that's your misunderstanding of empathy. Like, and I've literally had this conversation on Facebook where people get bent out of shape okay. over because I have a lot of uh, fa- I have a lot of cop family, and um, and I'll say like I think everybody needs I think everyone needs more empathy right now, and they'll go yeah they need more empathy that's what they need and I'm like you fucking totally missed the point you everybody needs more empathy not just them not just you I said everybody needs more empathy so if if you only have empathy for one person or one party, then that's not what empathy means. Nowhere in my definition did it say, you know, only... Would you argue that I'm very empathetic because... Yeah. Because I feel like I'm the exact opposite. Yeah, I would argue you're incredibly empathetic. I, I I find people with a lot of empathy, to me, strike me as people with a lot of burdens because... Empathy seems to be something in my experience where people carry a lot of the weight of other people on them. Yeah. That's called codependence. I, 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 I understand and recognize what codependence is, but I think that uh, my understanding of empathy, you feel other people's feelings means that you are spending a lot of time with less control over how you feel. If there are people around you who feel unhappy, then you are drawn into this unhappiness. And yeah, that's why empathetic people don't hang out with people who are un- unhappy. Like I don't hang out with I don't hang out with people. There are plenty of empathetic people who hang out with all kinds of different people. Yes, those and, people have trauma. Yeah, those are mentally unhealthy people that need mental health care. Like that's, I, but that's and so that's that's one of those types hyperboles where it's like uh, I even heard Alan Watts make one the other day. He was like. Uh, what was it? New age people can't think logically. No, there are plenty of new age people who can think logically. There are plenty of people who have legitimately a lot of empathy, whether it's born or learned, who hang out with people who are really negative. And there are a lot of really bad people who are quite literally empathetic, can recognize the people around them. And this is something you see a lot in cults of personality, a high level of charisma 
and the ability to lead people is very often linked with the ability to recognize and feel how other people are feeling. Mm, I wait, you're saying that you're saying that people who lead cults of personality understand how other people feel. Absolutely. I think that manipulating other people, especially intentionally, sometimes, the, sometimes they fall into it though. Accidentally. <laughs> I, I, but yeah, you're I, right. I like Hitler. Hitler studied psychology. Feelings about manipulation. I think that the vast majority of people who do manipulate other people do so without even a recognition they're doing it themselves. In the same way that, that right. we we form this reality that we have from a whole bunch of different points, and I think that a lot of people just go through life without recognizing. And and maybe this even speaks back to the central argument: you own your actions. Like that's, that's how I feel. And if you are taught from a young age that you do this thing or that thing and you get what you want, mm -hmm. then you may continue the rest of your life behaving these ways without recognizing that you're manipulating people that you love, manipulating coworkers, right. uh, relationships become manipulations. And I would say own your actions as part of the larger whole. How does that fit into the red pill, buddy? Um, because can, it's because of the two truths, because it's conventionally true that you are a person and you need to own your actions because that's how humans need to function. Like there is a difference between understanding ultimate reality and being able to live a happy life and to be productive. Um, and so I don't, I don't fucking like, I would have to go into a monastery if I, if I felt this way all the time. Can I ask about the two truths again? Uh-huh. Are they weighted? Is one more real than the other? Or are we talking about Schrodinger's cat? Because to me, Schrodinger's cat, you're recognizing that there are two truths. The cat is both alive and dead. We know this particle. We know its speed or we know its location. There are two truths there, but neither one is more real than the other. And when you talk about this, I'm also starting to recognize maybe it's more like you're referencing the two truths is one is important for the physical realm, the reality, what I'm calling consensus reality. Mm -hmm. And there's more important for spiritual enlightenment. Yeah. Is that exactly. So they're both equally important, but yes, one is, one is quote unquote bigger or more all encompassing. I guess the ultimate reality is all encompassing and conventional reality is more what functional, like what day to day, I guess. Um, and then within that realm, how this factors into uh, the red pill on free will is so you hold two truths in your head and you recognize that within the realm of this world, I still do have free will. I have to make decisions and I have to own my actions. But then mm -hmm. spiritually, nothing that I'm doing has any effect on anything, nor is anything that I do my own fault. Well, no, it has, what I'm doing has an incredible effect on everything. Um, yeah, it's, even it's if one you of the truths, but that's only important for reality. No, no, and no, that's, no, I think it's ultimately true that you are, you are doing good things if your karma is good. Um, but you, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, this is really, Buddhism is so hard to fucking talk about, man. <laughs> I, I, I know. Um, <laughs> calling you on these things because I, I do, I like that you have an understanding of them and you're using terminology and we can, we can work to agree on these terms. And that's, that's interesting to me. Now, and 
stop me from getting like aggressive with it and kind no, of I love this. Apart. This is great. You, you can do good things if your karma is good. So if you have bad karma, which uh-huh. I, I recognize is not karma, like oh I flipped somebody off and then I you know got t-boned in an intersection. Like karma is the sum combined total of all of these uh, positive and negative sort of interactions like throughout life. It's it's a deeper concept than just consequences for your actions, kind of. Yeah, karma is like where you are, where you're at, um, physically, spatially, spiritually. Um, so, how does karma affect this no free will situation? Um, it's just another way of karma. Is I think just another way of saying you don't have free will, which is funny because karma, karma means to do. It's almost like you're doing. Um, but, but it's like who you are, um, within the context of the universe. And like the only reason that you are who you are is because of the world around you formed who you are. Um, so it's, it is true that I am me and I have decisions to make, but it's also true that the only reason I have decision, the only reason I'll make these decisions is because of, uh, the environment around me. Um, I don't know. This is very confusing, but before, um, I was thinking about how I don't want my finger to, to act like my entire body. I want my finger to keep acting like my finger because that's like what reality is. That's like what the universe is, is like my finger needs to act just like this. Um, it's di- differentiation of the chaos. Yeah. And so I am like my finger in that I need to act like a human being, which is like, I have some kind of ego and I'm proud of my accomplishments. Um, but, but the ultimate reality is that I am part of the universe, just like my finger is part of my whole body. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really rambling, and it's it's making hard. It's harder for me to understand myself. <laughs> I, I do find myself like three minutes down an argument. I'm like, what was this so saying again? Uh, just say something important at the end and wrap it up. That's right. That's right. I, I'm with you, man. Yeah. Uh, a thought and like something that uh, it's kind of come to me through this conversation. I do really like where our kind of out there understandings of metaphysics and, you know, things like quantum entanglement or the origins of the universe end up aligning with these things that people have been saying for thousands of years. And to me, this concept of like reaching enlightenment, the bodhisattva waiting till all things have reached enlightenment and this concept of, uh, being one with the universe is kind of interesting because if our prevailing understanding of something like the Big Bang, that we came from a singularity, mm. and not just a singularity of all matter and energy, but that's also space-time. Like, things didn't happen because there was no there was no progression of time when things are a singularity. All time is one time. Mm-hmm. And that time is the same as all matter and energy. Mm-hmm. And what the fuck is this Bodhisattva waiting for, but recoalescing of all of the universe. And what is the purpose of the big bang 
other than all of these things, like what is the purpose of life? The the universe wanted the opportunity to do something, to experience itself, to observe. So it blew the fuck up, created a lot of chaos and division while still recognizing that ultimately what you want is a singularity out of that. Or maybe not what you want, but but what the other side of the coin is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I th- the only answer I could come up with with why the Big Bang happened was like boredom, you know? Like, why is reality? It's like, because we were bored with nothing. Something's more interesting. It seems a lot sense. of these questions of like the Godhead or, you know, old stories, like when people ask the Godhead, why, why? It's like, just play the play, man. Like, get out there and do the thing. We're here to do it. Like, it's existing because because of existence. Why do we live? To live. Why do things happen? Because they can? Because phenomenon is a thing occurring. Mm. Mm-hmm. This is this is why I think um, the meaning of humanity is to like explore these very ideas. Like the meaning of humanity is fractal. It's to it's to talk about humanity. <laughs> Which is cool. Like I love, I love being on this earth and being like, all right, what do we do now that we're here and conscious? It's like let's, let's like play around with these ideas because this is really fun to have ideas, you know? Yeah, dude. I know. I, I don't know. More people don't do this all day every day. And that's the other fun thing I was learning about the hunter gatherer societies because I'm like, how could you? Wouldn't you be bored as shit not having the internet, not having movies? not having a uh, uh, fucking headphones with awesome music. Right. Like how can you be happy without the black, the new black eyed peas? <laughs> and um, I know I could. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and they, the, these, these articles were talking about how like the, the social bonds are incredible. And when you live with the same people for your whole life, um, like, you know, like you and I, are two high level thinkers and, and we would also be high level thinkers in a hunter gatherer society and we would seek each other out and we would have incredible conversations about like, why are blueberries blue? And like, what, you know, is reality we would have, we can have these, we don't need the internet to have these thoughts. And so I'm like, Oh, clearly I would be entertained. Um, yeah. It's another one of these, uh, yeah, no shit. Sherlock kind of moments, but, have you looked at the sky lately? And <laughs> have you looked at the sky? But when you live in an area where there is nothing to do but look at the sky, mm-hmm. no surprise that so many cultures put so much emphasis on the stars mm-hmm. because they're they're stunning. Mm-hmm. They're stunning. And for half half the year, that's the only thing you can see. Mm-hmm. We take uh, electric light and other distractions we've lost a thing that people have known and appreciated forever mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's there um me and my friend jana who i meant i mentioned this very story on the podcast before but we developed this theory while we were doing mushrooms and looking at the stars um and and the theory developed like this i was like I was like, Jono, we've been looking at the stars for like over an hour, like nonstop head, head toward the sky. And he was like, you know, it's funny. He's a massage therapist. He says, what's funny is this position of standing up and looking at the sky is like one of the healthiest things you can do for your neck and your spine. It totally like 
aligns things and relaxes things. It's, he's like, it's fucking great for you. So he's like, actually, what? And he's like, you'll notice neither of us are sore. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm not sore at all, which is weird. And Just he was like, standing there craning your head. Right. Yeah. And he was like, and he was like, you put huh. your head in any other position like that for an hour, even straight ahead, you're going to be sore. And, and I was like, John, I think there is a connection. Maybe, maybe there's a connection between humans enjoying looking at the sky and it having a positive effect on our spine and how maybe these are connected and like they, they arose out of, out of each other. Like a mutual co-arising is another Buddhist term, how things can just emerge together and, and all of a sudden be this strong bond. But yeah, it seems like looking at the sky and being a human and enjoying it um, is specifically good for our spine, which is kind of cool. I always love when like, physiological things line up with our psychology yeah it's it's interesting the way it kind of points that direction um uh, i think it was carl sagan i heard him refer to uh the earth as the shore of the universe this idea that like we are we are a species that expands and explores and and we're we're on the cusp, man. Like we've, we've covered everything here, but a level of dimensionality in thinking like animals explore their territory, but, but we recognize there's more territory and, and that's the next fucking place to go. And yeah, I mean, the next thing is interesting. Is that why fuck man? Maybe, maybe that's why, because we are the species that this planet created to get off of this planet and keep doing things. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I honestly, I think that, and I, I feel very strongly about this, but one of the greatest travesties of this human existence is that we have not made more efforts to get off this planet. Mm. Like, what the fuck are we doing? It's the next step. Like, it's, it's, that is it. We're, we're poisoning this one. We have all kinds of issues here. There is a whole fucking universe out there, man. And I'm not saying it's a good thing to have humans spread across the whole thing. We're a virus, but but we're still ourselves. Yeah, I'm more the opposite. I'm more like we um, we should be trying to figure out a plan to remove ourselves from the universe. Because nah, don't lament what you are. Be the thing. A virus doesn't hate that it's a virus. No, what I am is the whole universe. I love the universe. I, I'm not. I'm not getting rid of. I'm not like. I'm. I'm gonna die in like 30 years anyway, bro. <laughs> like this whole idea that like we need to continue humanity. Like I don't understand the point. Like my fucking life's gonna be over, <laughs> and we are no, destroying I- other organisms. Like why is our life? Why is my life more important than a tree's life? Are you familiar with Fermi's paradox? I've heard of it, but I, I don't remember it. So Enrico Fermi's this guy. He worked on the Manhattan Projects, and uh, they would they, – they, it was the greatest minds of the past 100 years were all hanging out, sitting around together, and they would get drinks in the evening. And, and you know, you're talking to people like Albert Einstein. Ah, uh, it's Where I Are think, the Aliens? Sorry to interrupt. Is yeah, that- it, uh, Charles Daglian, um, like, like really incredible people. And apparently one night at the bar uh, – Enrico points out that we haven't heard anything from anyone else. Mm -hmm. And as our technology gets more and more complex, we should be picking up things, signals, or, or if we were looking at earth, right. Where are the aliens? Right. Where are are the fucking aliens? Why, 
in a universe this vast are we getting absolutely fucking nothing uh-huh. and it's really scary man but i and- want to go back to it doesn't matter because the trees are dying we should just kill ourselves like why should we be trying to get off this planet because your your recognition that human beings you are all of this universe I think comes with a really interesting caveat, a thing to recognize, and this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. We are the height of of this existence. We are the most evolved creature, and it's beautiful. That, like you put it, we are the eyes. Like we get to see these things, mm-hmm. and I think it comes with the same responsibility to say, "Let's fucking continue this." Like we, we, whatever, whatever it is that has happened that has given us this beautiful, and I'll call it a miracle whatever you want to say, this is fucking incredible that we get to exist. Our options now are to continue or to lose it. And due to a number of things that I've looked into, I think that there is, there's a pretty good chance that losing it is what happens. Uh And it's what they call the great filter. And it factors back into Fermi's paradox where essentially it's saying, you know why we aren't hearing anybody else? Because when you get to the point, that you have technology that can look and produce the kind of things that we're looking for, mm-hmm. we have a tendency to kill ourselves. And the antidote to that is getting the fuck off this planet because all of the things that could cause complete and utter human destruction uh-huh. could only do so to, to one localized area like that. There, there are a handful of things that could happen mm-hmm. that could utterly and completely destroy all intelligent life on this planet and they would not affect a, a, a group of intelligent life spread across the universe. Yeah. I guess there's potential for us to spread across the universe and not fuck things up elsewhere. Um, oh, no, we'll fuck it up. Absolutely. So then why would we, so then what's we'll, the we'll also, we'll, we'll propagate. We'll continue. These conversations will happen. Maybe we'll get closer to, some supreme answer of why we're all here, or maybe we'll just observe more of it as it continues to expand and then eventually collapse back into the singularity. Hmm. And the other option, and my, my fear is that these things that I'm referring to as the great filter Mm -hmm. are becoming more and more prevalent and more and more disconcerting. And to me, factoring in Rico's uh, or Fermi's paradox, you're, I feel like we might be the only intelligent life in this universe. And if we all die, then that's, that fucking sucks, man. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, we, we don't know for sure whether the trees are enjoying themselves and we know for sure that you and I are enjoying ourselves. So, well, you want to take the sure thing. Um, and the thing is, I think that trees do enjoy themselves. Whether, whether it's like a God is this earth mother, like Gaia principle sort of thing. I'm a brass tax. Like I look at this thing, this planet is in itself one organism. And, and that's, that's an interesting thing to consider. And that organism's job was to propagate and be healthy and create something. And what it created was us. We are this planet earth and we are, we're all of everything that thinks that we know. And, and that's Fermi's paradox. I'd love to be proven wrong. I would love that aliens came to Mars and they're like they're trolling us, like whatever it is. I'm, I'm fine with it. It would be reassuring to me to know that that there was more intelligent life in the universe observing and enjoying this thing. Mm-hmm. But I just there is. I think we would have seen it if there had been. Yeah, I would like us to to 
not, I don't think we should go off this planet until we um, figured out our own shit. Like until we figured out that we know we can balance the technology. Figure out our own shit. Well, we did. Well, the thing is, no, the thing is the native American, the thing is indigenous Americans did figure it out, bro. I'm telling you the Iroquois nation. No, no, no. the, The Iroquois nation figured out everything except like pain relief, you know, um, like and and and, and I they think got they got rid of war too. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, that, that's not my understanding of of Native American cultures. Yeah, I, the Iroquois I, nation was was peaceful, and um, there was there was no violence within their culture. They had it all figured out. Yeah, for like for for a few decades before the uh, the, the Europeans. Not every not every indigenous American society. It's in the Iroquois nation specifically. So um, I think that but, this, this comes into this idea of like uh, fractionating things down and you're familiar with Jordan Peterson. Um, yes, but I'm not talking about war. I'm talking about balance with the ecosystem. Like I'm, I'm not like, that's more important than, than war, humans warring. You can fractionate things down as much as you want. We're never going to be ready for the next step. Right. That's why we should never do it. That's why it's irresponsible. Like, that's what, like we we hit the height of human society with hunter gatherers. I'm pretty sure, or at least the the in some of the indigenous Americans where they combined hunter gatherer with agrarian society. Um, they fucking nailed it, man. And uh, that's your truth, and that's cool. It's not my truth. Like I I, I don't think that's the height. I think right, you're right because they didn't solve war, but like. They should have. No, I mean, but we need to do that before we leave the planet. They weren't the best because they're dead. Like there, there are all kinds of different ways that you can look at a problem, and the world is very complex and vast. Wait, why would the best society? The best society doesn't always win. Like (laughs) you just said, if they were the best, they wouldn't have been dead. That makes absolutely no sense. What's What's the best? Um, I mean, it's a matter of opinion, is what I'm saying. Oh, you're saying the best could be immunity to smallpox. That's not. Um, yeah, whatever it is. Right. Well, I'm saying I'm saying indigenous America. I'm saying I'm saying indigenous Americans, certain indigenous American nations struck a balance between the earth and human activity to create abundance that and I don't think really we've seen for them, but that doesn't mean they lived the best lives. That doesn't um, mean they were right, but they I think of human evolution and well, I don't think but I think they were just, I think they were just as happy as us, but they weren't destroying the planet. So that is better than what we're doing. They're probably, they were probably, I think they were probably happier, but we'll never know. Let's say they were at least as happy as us. So within, within all of this, it kind of digs into like a, a worldview that I hold. And that, that worldview is that, you know, constant improvement is a virtue. It's a virtue to me. It might not be to everybody, but that is a virtue to me. And looking at a species, a society, and all of life that we know of, then constant improvement is the necessary steps. I I think that they might have had happiness on lock. I think they might have had an understanding of their ecosystem that we still don't nowadays. But I don't think that that is what I would view as the height of society the 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 next step in human evolution the constant improvement of the purpose of this planet having life at all i think that that life propagates and that technology is how we're going to do that propagating off this planet right and i 
Right. And I think the industrial revolution like screwed us. Like I think we went on a path that caused us imbalance with our environment. Yes. And that, that is not the only way that history could have played out, which of course goes against well, no free will I, argument. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, but right. Because smallpox exists. That's might, may have been what happened, but like, I'm, I'm not just like making this up. I'm talking about like firsthand accounts of Europeans who landed in the new world who were mm-hmm. like, who were like, Oh my God, these people like figured out things that we haven't. And they're clearly yeah, they, more they advanced. They figured out a lot of things, but they didn't figure out other things. And they're, it's our human decision to put a virtue to this and being kind, uh, not destroying the earth. I'm with you. I like that's not a human. Wait a minute. That's not a human decision. That's a tree centric decision as well. So don't pretend like saving the trees is a human decision because if the trees had a decision, they would choose to save themselves as well. So I'm mm. saying you're, you're, you're putting virtues on things that happen. And I'm not saying that of course a good thing, but I'm saying that you, your argument that a group of people who, call it even better than than they had done a group of people who live in perfect harmony with the earth i'm not agreeing that that is a better human being i, I i'm logically i'm saying from the trees perspective it's a better human you can you can say empirically from the perspective oh, the trees, of man. okay from Build the perspective rock. of every single animal that is not a human <laughs> you could say that the indigenous americans were were better and so, yeah, you can be a speciesist and be like, it's, it's, I don't know. Did the Buffalo love them? Yes, there were million. Yes. The Buffalo population exploded. <laughs> so yeah, the Buffalo about, did love them. What about chickens? Do you ever think about this? Fuck the chickens. <laughs> I love chickens. They're delicious. Yeah, they, they are. are. They are one of the most successful species on this planet. Uh-huh. And they're a really successful species because we breed them and eat them yeah, and but, we do awful things to them. Right. Free or, range Buffalo, much happier than farm chicken. Happier. Again, you're putting, you're putting our terminology to this and you're putting an assumption and you're putting an assumption about another thing's nervous system. You're saying it's an assumption that farm raised chicken are less happy than free range Buffalo. You made this you're joke. Saying there's, you're saying there's a chance that chicken might be happier. Come on. Dude. You made this joke last time. It was a good year for Corona. Right. Cause it's free range because <laughs> it's not farmed. <laughs> if Corona was only in the CDC lab for testing, not so good for the old Rona life set and setting. That's important. That is, that is success for creatures. And I see a society, a, a human effort to propagate and expand outside of this planet mm-hmm. The success of this species, hmm. as opposed to staying here and dying, which I think is pretty likely by our own hands, if we don't get off this planet. And you're talking about a few major things here. Uh, are you familiar with germ, germ level gene editing? Um, I can understand the concept based on the words. Yeah. So there's there's editing that we can do to our genes that only affect that one organism. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you put something into the reproductive cycle then what you've essentially done is dropped a point and everything from this point on will have the effects of that. And there's no way to go back and remove that. So uh, to fight malaria, they're 
um, messing with the reproductive ability of mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. You might save a whole bunch of lives, but we also don't know what's going to happen when something changes within an environment and the kind of ramifications they'll have afterwards. Yeah. Do you ever see Children of Men? Oh, yeah. I like that movie. So a whole bunch of people are recognizing that they can't have babies anymore and they have no idea why. Right. And never explained in that movie, but this is a good example of like germline gene editing. We could do something could have already happened in a lab in somebody's garage in a foreign country or even here in America. Something could be put into the genetic structure and then released and we would never know. We don't know why things go wrong. They just they, they can't. And it's one of these things. It's becoming more and more available. Messing with this stuff, the decision but, to do stuff. This but, is one example of how all of humankind on this planet could get wiped out and there's nothing we could do about it. Right. But we ha- so because but we haven't sustained we haven't figured out how to sustainably recreate uh uh how to sustain ourselves. Um so why would we go to another planet? I think it's immoral to go to another planet because we haven't figured out how to sustain, how to be sustainable in, in our, what's our issue resources. Um, our issue, we use too many resources. Our, yeah. Our issue is we don't know how to balance our reproduction with the surrounding environment. The, the problem no is we end up, we end up, we, we end up destroying our surrounding environment. Um, which but you look at a cycle of like rabbits and wolves on an Island. Like they, no, nobody does. It, it's self equalizing. And we're playing with bigger guns now, but that's why we need to play in a bigger arena. Yeah, we well, do. We just can... go to another arena and destroy that one. Like, why do you think that it'll be different? Next? Why do you think Good it'll be luck. different? What'd you say? I said destroy the entire universe. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, or just go to another planet where people are like the indigenous Americans, where they're like living forty-five to fifty years and healthy and strapping <laughs> and happy, and then we fucking wipe them out. Like that makes no sense. Well, you're That's saying we go to another planet with aliens that are living there, yeah. And affect colonialism on them. Yeah, I'm saying the exact same my, thing my, we did to indigenous. My Americans. understanding of this whole thing comes from the belief that there is no other life in this universe. So, us enacting colonialism with our expansion of borders is not a moral issue for us to deal with, with getting off this planet. And I think that that's something that's relatively important to recognize. I think it is. We are not, we're not going to America to take it off of native Americans. We're going to the moon and there's nothing fucking on there. There's helium three, which is a valuable resource for energy, but there's nobody there that we're going to accidentally make sick with smallpox. Right. And I don't understand why it's worth it. Why is it worth it for us to travel there? Okay. So we can have uh, more conversations like this? Specifically helium-3? No, no, no. I mean, like, what? Like, I believe I believe that if we don't prioritize this, then human life is going to be destroyed on this planet. And why That's does that the, matter? Filter. Why, why does, does that, it matter? Yeah. Because I'm part of this organism that has been successful, and I would care to see that success continue. Why? Because you're egotistical about much as as much as I enjoy this big perspective, sort of like I am one with the universe. I the second truth I hold in my head is I am a human being, and I want to see human beings propagate. So you want it because you want it. You don't know why you want it. You don't have a good reason. <laughs> but I have a time frame. That's 
Maybe that's the other you, side of it. Okay, you don't, don't so don't you don't have a good mind. reason why humans should go on to no. another planet. I mean, I do, yeah, it, to continue to live, which is the purpose of life. That that is that's how I feel. Again, but this why is, my, is that important? Why is it's just because, because to to continue to live and continue to exist is the purpose of life. Okay, live. but why is the purpose of life important? Because it's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I, but your life is going to be over. So, like, who gives a shit? I like, think, that's that's. My I hope. think it, it's it's this thing where it's it's cool to ask these questions, but when you start to undermine too much of reality, nothing is real. Then then it becomes unhelpful or unimportant. And I can definitely back the lens out far enough where I recognize my own insignificance, but I choose not to. Like, I I mean, I, I want to still feel like a person. Mm-hmm. I, I think this, right. I think this planet is worth as much as humans are worth. So, like, I don't, I don't understand why we should focus our energy on getting off of this planet where, because I think we should focus our energy on how we can like keep an ecosystem going here so that it it doesn't get like completely nuclear bombed into nothingness. So so nuclear Holocaust is an obvious one. Yeah. Um, I think that's our biggest issue is nuclear. Holocaust. I mean, it, it is one of, but it's not even in my opinion, the biggest, How is German, it not the biggest? obviously like a, a higher concept, but look at the coronavirus, look at any opportunity where a, uh, a thing that we don't understand maybe is completely out of our control could kill all of us tomorrow. Um, no, it can't. A, a, no germ can kill us all tomorrow, but a nuclear, nuclear hijacking can kill us all tomorrow because the, it wouldn't even kill us all. Yes, yeah, so we, we might. There, there are hack. No, the the entire government just got hacked. So like, it is entirely conceivable. And like people who like Noam Chomsky says, like the greatest risk to humanity is nuclear annihilation. And it's even greater than it was in the Bay of Pigs. The Bay of Pigs was fucking nothing. You can have you, there are half the Russian military is devoted to hacking, um, but also you can have ISIS hacking people. Go on. You you can have ISIS hacking into the system and you don't need any keys to be turned anymore. So okay. it's all computer. We, we can both. That's our greatest threat. Things are looking grim here. And my so that argument, should be our greatest threat. What's that? That should be our sole focus is like making sure that the planet, that all the organisms on the planet don't die because as, as important as, fucking bets, man. as important as we think we are, um, you know, the soil might end up being more being important to like an alien society that's more advanced than us. But yeah, I think we should be working on ways to be more balanced with the earth. And if we can't figure that out, we need to figure out how to not be on this earth anymore. It could be, that could be getting off the planet, but physically I think it's more ending, ending the species. Like a uh, existential suicide. Yeah, I mean, it's it, the logistical problems mount when you're the last generation of humanity, and you're like an eighty-year-old, and you need someone to take care of you or perform your open-heart surgery, and all there are other eighty-year-olds. That's a problem. So I understand logistically, it's complicated, but 
I'm, I'm well, kind of in favor of it. <laughs> a thing that's really good is variation. And I like that there are people out there who view the most important thing that we should be doing as something different than what I think. Because mm-hmm. I think yeah. we need variation. That's how species survive. Yeah, you love your variation. You're like, I think people need no yeah. empathy. No, that's not. <laughs> I do. I think that we need all kinds. And you've made the, the political argument to me before. And I'm quoting you on record here, and I might be doing it wrong, and I apologize if Please. it was more just, but you said that you wish that there were Republicans and Democrats, but only Republicans got to make, or only Democrats got to make the decisions. Absolutely, yeah. I want the other voice in the room. I don't want them making the decisions. See, that's crazy, man. That's extremism. You need to weed out extremism. I don't, or, I like, don't, I don't think you need extremism exist. I don't think, I don't think all extremism is bad. Um, extremism is just a deviation from the mean. And so I think sometimes extremism is a good thing. And so I, I think we need to destigmatize the idea of like extreme ideas, but yeah, it is an extreme. I idea. think everything in moderation except moderation. Right. But yeah, I think it's, it's nice important. that we both exist. Yeah. Republicans should have a voice on the table, but they should never make the decision. And I think Republicans feel the same way. <laughs> that's politics. I, I doubt that's the case. I think that's what happens when I, you have an opinion. Like when you have an opinion, you want yours to, to fucking go through. That's the definite, like that's the definition of having an opinion. So I, no, that's why people don't like have, being in a democracy. You, gotta suck you can it have up. wisdom and recognize that you can have an opinion and it doesn't mean that everybody needs to agree with it. Uh, right. Not everyone needs to agree with it, but, but this is what I think should happen. So clearly I don't so think for, you should be in for control. My example, I, I think that getting off this planet is the most important thing. I recognize that I could be wrong and I recognize that you could be right. I, I feel strong enough about my thing where I would, I would like to work my life to make that thing a, a, a realistic thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And maybe there would come a point where that meant I had to oppose your thing where I'm a high-level politician. I'm arguing for a planetary expansion at the cost of conserv- conservation efforts. Mm-hmm. I, me now here, I can say I recognize that I might be wrong, and I like that there are other people making these arguments. I disagree with a vast majority of conservative points, but I don't think that we should silence them or not have that kind of balancing factor. I think this is why people get, I think people get into politics specifically to make sure that your voice is the one that enacts policy. That I think that's the definition of politics is that you want to be the one you and your, the people that you agree with, you want us to be the ones that make the policy. Like you're fine with them being there as long as they are not the ones making the policy. And if, if you're okay with both sides making policy. So that I think I, even knowing that I would align closer with one side over the other, I recognize that there are idiots on both sides, just like there are intelligent people on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I want to see a balance. I, I, I want to have somebody telling me I have to pay taxes. Even if I'm going to sit here and be like, I don't want to fucking pay your taxes. Mm-hmm. But you're not in politics. This is why you're not in politics. Like I'm telling you, like logical. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm no, because you don't care if your decision goes through because you're not convinced enough. You don't have enough conviction in your opinion that you're like, no, no, no. I'm so convinced. Wait, that's your definition of a politician is somebody with a lot of conviction. Um, no, I think that's why people, I think that's why earnest people get into politics. I'm talking about, I'm talking about people. I'm assuming that people have 
we're using a hypothetical where politicians get into it for the right reasons. And they get into it because they want to affect policy because they're so convinced that their opinions are the way that society should go that they want to get in there and get it done. And it's unacceptable that it's not getting done. I question people with conviction. <laughs> well, no, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I, I'm pretty laissez-faire because there's no free will. So I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. Like if you're if you're gonna be if you're gonna be pissed, be pissed. If you're not, that's also your karma. But um no, yeah, I think a lot I think most like earnest people who get into politics believe that it's because they want their opinions to uh, be reality and they want to they want other people's opinions to not go through. I want people to have them. I don't know, man. I have strong opinions and I'm, I think my opposition to politics is probably that laziness sort of thing, you know, where you're like, uh, you, you degrade a thing because you don't want to do the effort of, of recognizing it. I, I definitely do this with money. And I think, uh, with all of these recent upsets and, and new ways that money can be accessed by common people, I'm trying to reevaluate that. I'm trying to not dismiss it, trying not to, you know, poo-poo the thing. But I definitely see that with politics. Like, I have strong opinions, and I would like to see things be done differently. But I also have such a, maybe it's a hegemonic sort of thing I need to reevaluate, like a distrust for politics and things like that. Hey, heads up, I'm getting a message on my computer. It's going to force restart in 10 minutes here. (laughs) Well, that's good. I mean, we've been going over two hours. Damn, we're crushing it. Um yeah, no, politics is soul sucking. Like, even if you want to do it, it's like, I don't, I don't like phone banking and canvassing and shit. <laughs> can I, can I throw another one out there? This is something I was, I was uh, realizing recently. I, I find myself getting really upset when important things get turned into political things and climate change is a good example. Mm. Uh, we, we are, sidelining ourselves from making real efforts because we've allowed it to become a thing where people are fighting about it. And I think that a really interesting counter uh, or uh, so in Japan, they don't have the same conversation about abortion that Uh we do here in America. Uh It's not uh, a moral issue. It's not a political issue, but they have that same moral political issue with organ transplantation. Oh, this is this is differences in society and culture and knowing that i've looked at a lot of things that become quickly politicized and i got very upset or jaded to the thing saying like i wish i wish we could solve this problem rather than argue about it as a matter of politics what i'm working towards and understanding better is that politics is the realm of important questions and even if it's not for the right reasons, then our questions, why climate change has become political is because we're looking at a push-pull between uh, money and conservation efforts. Mm -hmm. And there are people who want to make money, and there are people who want to conserve the planet. Mm -hmm. And I am trying to recognize that that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's the conversation. I wish it was more Mm -hmm. on the table. I wish it was more uh, obvious, and I wish that it didn't become this thing where people say my father, for example, who, who his conservative nature is tied to his identity. And that means that for a lot of people out there, they need to believe that climate change isn't real because that's become the party line. Yeah, yeah. And 
edutainment sort of part of politics. And in reality, these are important questions and we do need to discuss them. We need to say how much can we let industry advance versus how much can we save the planet? Yeah. If the lights start going out, you know, is it is it that important that we aren't, you know, putting down this carbon footprint? And and I, I think maybe the lights do need to go out, but that's just my opinion. But it needs to be a conversation. And what I'm trying to do these days is get less upset about things being politicized and recognize that that just means that it's it's a hot button. It's something that does need discussed. Interesting. Except for abortion. Just right. fucking let people have abortions. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That get is tough. Right. And yeah, because like you have like a hot button issue like like climate change or abortion. And it's easy to see like some politicians are in it for the right reasons. And some of them are like what I call craven and they're manipulating. You do use that term a lot. Can you define it for me? I love that word. Um, it's like intentionally being shitty, you know, like knowingly Mm -hmm. fucking being disingenuous and like creating chaos or or creating discord. Um, yeah, that's what I consider. Do you you know the, the quote above the, uh, gate at Auschwitz? Work will set you free. Free. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was put there with the understanding that it, Oh, I absolutely wouldn't. And it wasn't like, oh, we think we're going to trick the people we're putting into this camp. It was just fucking nasty. Mm-hmm. Like it's a joke, essentially. Yeah. 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 Um, Craven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, and that's why sometimes I say like everything is political um, because I think that when you realize, like you said, like po- po- politics are essentially important, important items. <laughs> and so I think everything's, yeah. everything's political, whether we know it or not. And even being apolitical is a form of being political. It's a, it's a form of conservatism being apolitical. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to work on recognizing more and more where my opposition to a thing is actually just laziness. Hmm. So being opposed to understanding money or being opposed to politics or even being opposed to a viewpoint. Often it's just like, yeah, I don't want to have to go through all the effort of learning cryptocurrency or mm-hmm. running for local office or something like that. Yeah. I also have this theory that with things like politics and, and the economy um, that there's like a gatekeeper syndrome or mentality where people who are quote unquote experts um, want to be experts and they will actively tell you that like, you're not going to understand this. And yeah. I think that's fucking bullshit. I think specifically with economics and they use all this jargon, they throw all, they're like, well, I know what compound <laughs> intro, I know what short selling is or whatever. And it's like, just because you know, these like specific and uh, legal people do this all the time too. They'll be mm-hmm. like, I'm going to use all this, um, all these Latin words and so I'm going to fucking overwhelm you with my intellect and essentially discourage you from having an interest in this. And it's fucking bullshit. <laughs> Politics, academia. Those are two big places where because the system exists and makes a lot of money, it chooses to protect itself by obfuscating these things. And we're seeing with this recent stock market thing, mm-hmm. when you fuck with the system and the people who think that they're the only ones who are allowed to use the thing, they don't like that. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I think technology is showing us more and more and more 
that all of these things are they're feudal era things where the king was the king because he had a system in place where he could talk to the people that he needed to. Mm. And a better king could overrun you if he had better information and better ability to communicate. And we have the fucking internet, man. Mm. This is human evolution. This is this is God gift. This is incredible. <laughs> anybody can talk to anybody. And we need to find more and more ways where we can disassemble these beacons of power yeah. because we have access to. And not necessarily because they need to be pulled apart, but because that's what we can do. Because yeah. we should be doing what we can do. Mm-hmm. Because because a virus will continue to spread until it has no more hosts. Because water flows. Well, I mean, I think that's a good place to end since your computer has to restart in three minutes. <laughs> right? Yep. Um, well, gosh, that this is this has been a great combo, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we just thought we were going to throw a little determinism in there. We got, what was this, another two and a half hours, man. I know. Yeah, it's been something. <laughs> so, Thank you right. for bringing me back on, dude. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I'm ready for next time already. This was great, man. Yeah, this was awesome. I, there's still, like, so I still have, like, a bullet list of, like, a bunch of other stuff to talk about. So <laughs> we didn't yeah, we didn't hit a lot, but my brain is it's getting tired, you know? This was Does, a good one. Is Fishman doing this stuff much? Yeah, he gets on there every once and then. Yeah, I've uh, he's been going through a lot of professional stuff. Like he's got another uh, music festival to do this spring, so I know things been hectic with him. So oh, that's cool. So yeah, I think I'll get on with with him at some point. I I'd love to talk to you both and just have like another Ooh. point on these things and yeah. sort of see you know what what he's up to now. Too. Yeah, I mean, we'll do a white guy trio. That sounds good. Yeah, yeah, we need more white voices. <laughs> <laughs> Elevate the white voices. Amen, All right, we'll leave, All right. <laughs> we'll leave on that note. All right, Alex, crushing it. That was so much fun. All right, well, to everyone listening, I'm going to I'm gonna take us out with some more Camouflage. Uh, the song is, once again, safe. And so uh, for Alex, for me, thanks for listening. This is the Unnecessary Podcast. See you. 